Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have another exciting founder. You know, we're going to be talking definitely about building, scaling, financing. You know, in this case, you know, what they're doing, the difference between raising for equity, raising for debt, all of that good stuff. You know, we're going to be talking about what happened, you know, what they did in COVID, methods that are not the traditional ones that you're used to seeing in Silicon Valley, you know, going after super angels and then, you know, perhaps, you know, opening it up to uh, external institutionals. But again, you know, a lot to really think about, a lot of get a lot, you know, of information that is going to be inspiring. And without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Tate Hackard. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. So originally born in Waterloo, Canada. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Absolutely. So I was born in Kitchener, Waterloo. Uh, at about four years old, though, family and, and myself obviously moved to Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island, if you don't know, it's the westernmost point in Canada. Um, and it's just spectacular. Summers are amazing. Winters are a little bit rainy and dreary, but what a great place to grow up. Uh, living now in Calgary. Um, but yeah, certainly Canadian through and through. And I'm sure you'll, you'll hear it a lot throughout this uh, podcast. Now, one thing that is very interesting here is that uh, very early on, you really got into the whole business side of things. So how, how did that happen? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, growing up on Vancouver Island, um, it's an interesting place. Uh, it, 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 you know, I think if you have a lot of drive, you can make a lot of things happen. Um, and fortunately for me, I was surrounded by, you know, amazing people, amazing people in the community. I had a lot of friends that I uh, grew up just down the street from me and we're all sort of had that same sort of drive and, and passion to to do things other than just the typical um, kind of nine to five and as well as my parents. Right. So uh, growing up, grew up on a farm, uh, learned very early on the the value of, of hard work um, and work ethic and what that looked like. And um, I think it's interesting looking back now because for so, so long, I thought of work as this like linear, you know, you put one hour in, you get one hour out. Um, because that's, you know, ultimately working on, on a farm or working in the blue collar industry is, is what happens. And it took a long time to, to shift that to uh, kind of thinking in the knowledge work realm where you're really uh, creating exponential lift in, in the labor productivity that you do. But in any case, yeah, so, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to work in the commercial fishing industry from a young age. Uh, and that gave me some money in my pocket. Uh, and when I was 16 years old, I started lending that money out. I did a second mortgage for someone, which is just a fancy word for someone needed a mortgage. They couldn't get it uh, through the traditional means of a bank. And uh, so I, I lent them that. A year later, I got a check back with interest. And I thought, wow, this is a, a pretty cool way to make money. And I went crazy with it. I put an advertisement up on Craigslist. I, uh, I, I started, you know, anyone that wanted money, I would chat with them in the local coffee shop and um, ultimately decide whether or not they were worthy of, uh, you know, getting $1,000, $2,000 uh, for, for a short period of time. What was really interesting about that is you start to learn a ton about people uh, and you start to 
you know, as a 16, 17, 18 year old kid, I'm interacting with people two or three times my age uh, and, and really understanding their life story and um, where they're coming from and what they need money for. And uh, it took me down this entire journey. Uh, I, I went through university, I went to university and um, uh, did sort of the traditional route of education, but I also did a lot of uh, non-traditional things in there as well and dove deep into the research realm of payday loans, overdraft fees, and uh, ultimately, uh, you know, that research led me to, to what I'm doing today in the fintech space. And I guess uh, while you were doing this, you know, at 16, and also speaking with people that are like twice your age, what, what did you learn about money? So it's interesting because, you know, I kind of think of money in, in two ways. There's, there's your balance sheet capital and there's your cash flow capital. And from a balance sheet perspective, um, I, I, I had some decent funds. Uh, from a cash flow perspective, I, I didn't have much at all, right? I, I didn't have a, a consistent paycheck that I could pull from. Um, and so when I'm 17 years old talking to someone that's making $80,000 a year needing $2,000 to get by for 60 days, it just didn't compute because at 17, I thought $80,000 a year was the most money you could make in the world. I, I, I thought that was, wow, if I had a job that paid me 80000 consistently throughout the year, that'd be incredible. And so I think like, first and foremost, it was really interesting to understand like people's budgetary habits, um, how they think of money, how they, uh, how they think of prioritization and trade-offs. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to me what people would be willing and not willing to give up in order to uh, have money for a certain period of time. And I think that all just, again, lends itself into um, like the, the, the focus on financial wellness, financial health, and uh, personal financial management that, you know, kind of my career is taking me down. So uh, you got your degree in the University of Victoria, but then eventually you end up in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, actually, that's where you got your feet wet there in the venture world, in the startup world. So I guess, first and foremost, what do you think changed, you know, in terms of your worldview when now all of a sudden you're coming out of Canada, you start to see that there's a world outside of Canada, especially being there in Hong Kong. And then, and then also, how did you get into the venture world? So when I went to university, I went to university a couple hours away from my hometown. Uh, and it's sort of like a rite of passage for anyone that grew up in my place. Like in, in, in my hometown, they'd, they'd go these two hours south to this city called Victoria. Anyone that's been to Vancouver Island uh, would know Victoria. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And um, Victoria's uh, business and, and economics program had an amazing, uh, uh, an amazing opportunity or, or an amazing um, yeah, you, you could go on exchanges in other places. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to go on exchange. And I saw everyone kind of doing the typical Europe uh, thing. And I thought, ah, oh, Hong Kong would be neat. Like, that would be such a culture shock. And if I'm going to do something, I may as well do it and, and you know, get some life lessons out of it as well. So that's where I ended up uh, just for my last semester. I think it sounds a lot cooler that I went to, you know, school in Hong Kong. But ultimately, it was... It was my final uh, semester in a little bit uh, of school that, that I, I did over there. Um, and when I was over there, you know, unlike I think most exchange students, I went there in my final year. Uh, most go in their first or second year. They're really caught up in having fun with the other students. Um, and for better or for worse, I, I wasn't. 
uh, I was really focused on like, okay, these are my final four months of school. I really want to like set myself up for what's next. Uh, and so although I had a ton of fun over in Asia, I spent the majority of my time uh, really digging into like, what's the next year of Tate's life going to look like? And at the time, this is 2013, uh, the startup ecosystem was really hot. You had companies like Snapchat, Airbnb, um, Insta, like they were all launching and startups was really cool at the time. Uh, and so there was all these meetups around Hong Kong for interested startup entrepreneurs, interested tech people. And for me, like coming from a small town, going to this big city with this whole ecosystem available, it was mind blowing. And I realized that I could spend my entire days simply learning from people. And I did this a little bit in Victoria as well. Um, you know, I, I skipped class a lot more than I probably should have. And I ended up just booking coffee dates with local entrepreneurs. And I think when I went to Hong Kong, I did that, you know, times 10. Uh, booked coffees with with anyone that I could, attended all these meetups and networking events, learned all I could about this, you know, technology industry, fintech industry. Uh, and eventually, um, quite early on, actually, in, in Hong Kong, I got a, a job at a startup e-commerce company. Uh, and that was really my first sort of uh, introduction to to tech in a professional capacity. Now, tell us about then, you know, when you got into into the tech world in that capacity. I mean, obviously, you started more on the business development side of things. Uh, so what happened? Like, how, why did you come back to Canada? Also, like, when you came back to Canada, how do you now get into the fintech, you know, uh, world as well? So walk through those sequence of events that needed to happen? Certainly, man. I, 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 well, I came back to Canada uh, because, you know, Canada's home, but I, uh, I moved to Calgary because of a girl. I mean, why, why else would you move to Calgary, right? Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, at the time I, I, was, I was dating a girl uh, that, that we both went to university with. She was from Calgary, and so it just made sense to move out here. And, um, you know, through, throughout that time in Victoria, uh, I had connected with individuals in the fintech space and specifically one individual uh, that after became a, a board member for myself, Casper um, Wong out of, out of Toronto. Uh, when I moved to Calgary, I, I said to Casper, hey, I, you know, I, I think I'm ready to embark on this next journey of fintech. Um, I have this idea. Uh, I have this really terrible logo and and this company name and uh and i and and you know i i think i can make this happen uh do you know anyone in calgary that would act as a co-founder with me and he said you know i know of a guy uh send me your pitch deck see if he's interested in this don't know what's happening um and so sure enough i sent sent him the pitch deck uh, and, and that's Darcy Tour, my, my co-founder and, and Zazen's uh, CEO. And uh, uh, so Darcy and, and myself uh, co-founded Zazen, you know, a number of years ago now. But at the time, it, it worked super serendipitously because Darcy was just in the process of exiting his company that he had been co-founder and president for uh, a number of years. He was just in the process of exiting that. And I came along with this idea and uh, an initial couple customers and uh uh or initial couple i guess 
intended customers or customers that had some intent of, of using the service if we had it and uh, convinced them to come on board. And we, we took it from there. What were those uh, initial conversations like, you know, when you guys were getting together? I mean, was that like brainstorming or how how were you able to enroll and really put together this founding team? A lot of so so Darcy is uh, a two decades older than me, um, or not yet, yeah, two decades older than me, and so a lot of it for me was just understanding. Wow, you know, I'm here. I am in this office with this adult. Um, mind you, I'm 23 years old at the time, but 23 fresh out of university in a brand new city, uh, it feels quite fresh, right? So a lot of it's just trying to understand um, exactly what to do, I suppose. But, you know, I, I think what I did and, and what those brainstorming sessions looked like was mainly, hey, like, here's my experience. Here's the conversations I had in the coffee shops with all these people that needed funds. Here's the research I've done on the short-term money industry. Um, I know that there's a solution here to be had. Uh, I know that there's definitely a problem here. And so, like, can we make this solution? And uh, one of our initial conversations that, that, that we had uh, was around this payroll company that, um, that I was wanting to partner with. And for a bit of context, uh, you know, the, the, the company that we have today, Zayzune, we provide earned wage access to employees. And so how that works is we partner with payroll companies, distribute through the business, and then ultimately uh, the employee chooses to, to use us to get money early. And so there was this payroll company that was interested in using us through some conversations, conversations I'd had with them. Uh, and so my, you know, with, with Dars, it was, man, fly out here with me. Let's 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 see if if uh, like let me show you that this is real, um, and and like if this is real and if, if you feel that it's real, then like why wouldn't we dig into this? We know that the problem's massive. We know that we're both smart individuals, and so if you have a you know two smart individuals and you have a, a massive problem, I mean there's there there's got to be something there, uh, and that's that's really what it was. Um, now of course you know that massive problem and the solution that we thought was so easy took uh you know seven or eight years to to actually come to fruition and 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 become something uh we added another co-founder along the way as well um but but yeah it was a pretty special moment in those early days certainly and i guess for the people that are listening to get it what ended up being the business model of say soon how are you guys making money certainly so an employee chooses to come in and uh, access about $100 from, from Zayzoon. They do that nine or 10 days before their next payday because they're short on cash. Uh, they get that money uh, uh, in a number of ways. We have a Zayzoon debit card, uh, which is completely free for that employee to access funds. We have a, uh, a gift card solution where they can take their money early in the form of a gift card to about 400 different retailers. Again, completely free. Uh, and then, if that employee wants to send money to their own account via Venmo or uh, direct to their to their own, you know, bank account through through transfer, uh, we charge them a five dollar fee to do so. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So 
I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. And uh, I guess, you know, also what was the process? What was the journey of, I guess, capitalizing the business? How did you guys go about raising money for this? Because I, I guess, just so that we know, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Yeah, we've raised a little over $50 million to date. Uh, and that, that came together across a number of rounds. Um, you know, being in Calgary, Calgary is an interesting city. It's, it's for those that don't know, it's, it's um, sort of like the Houston of the North. Uh, very oil and gas heavy, uh, lots of old money, uh, not a huge startup ecosystem, although it's, it's changing and getting better now. But um, back in 2013 or 2014, I guess, once I got to Calgary, um, 2014, 2015, when we were starting to raise capital, there wasn't really venture capital available to us, uh, or, or not none that was interested in us anyways, right? We're, we're not Stanford grads. Um, we're based in Calgary, not San Francisco. And uh, we had an idea that, although was super novel, um, was also incredibly new and uh, seemingly arduous by way of uh, the B2B to C business model. And so having takers for that was was quite difficult to find um and so what we did is we we did what we do do best and and we leaned on our network uh we we have an incredible network and i think um you know going back to uh my days in university and even prior to that i've always been focused on putting network first uh i remember my dad told me a quote when i was probably 7 years old we were coming home from a hockey practice and we were in a uh, local coffee shop early morning, and there's someone ahead of us um, that that I I knew from the other team, but didn't say hi to. And I, I remember my dad said, "What are you doing? Like, why don't you say hi to him?" And I said, "Well, I, I don't know. Like, why would I say hi to him? I, I don't really know him." And my dad's like, "You always need to run for mayor. Like, always be mayor," which was basically his way of saying, you know, like talk to everyone, say hi to everyone. Um, and so I, I, I digress a little bit, but, you know, I, I think that's, that's sort of um, something that we've, we've focused on immensely at Zayzoon, uh, and it's helped us with investors, and it's helped us with clients, and um, kind of all the way through to the end customer. Um, and so from a money-raising capital perspective, it, it was exactly that. It was go to our network, go to the oil and gas capital that was looking for diversification, 
that was looking for an interesting tech play to get into, scrape and claw together a million bucks by way of a bunch of $50,000 checks from high net worth individuals. And what's beautiful about that is when you show results and when you have great communication as a company and you're continually updating them and you're executing on what what you say you're going, going to do, you can come back to that well. And we came back to that well a lot. Uh, we raised our first uh, almost $25 million um, exclusively from high net worth super angels. I mean, that's a lot of money. So, uh, I mean, how do you really go to raise it to that level? And then at what point do you realize, hey, maybe we need to open it up to institutional investors? For us, we really saw the need for institutional investment because we're looking ahead. Um, we're, we're, we're seeing that that well has been amazing for us. And we've had an incredible you know, support group um, by way of these super angels. Uh, but if Zazun wants to be a $10 billion plus outcome of a business, uh, you eventually take that leap into, you know, deeper pockets and, and, and bigger capital pools and also expertise that comes with some of the venture capital firms or, or um, institutional financing where they've seen this story happen many times before, right? Um, and, and they can be in board meetings and talk to you about how they've seen other companies do it or analogies um, that you can perhaps draw from. And so that was really what we got excited about. And in our last round, we ended up uh, raising through a, through a venture capitalist for, for this reason. Um, and and I, you know, I, I think it's, it's a really, really amazing thing for us, and it's going to be a very amazing thing for us. So then I guess for, for you guys, you know, in this case, obviously, vision is a really big one. Now, when you're sharing it with, with, with these investors. So if you were to go to sleep tonight and you woke up in a world where the vision of Seisun was fully realized, what would that world look like? Yeah, um, it's, it's quite simple. We're, we're going to save 10 million employees, $10 billion. And that manifests itself in a, in a number of ways. Uh, today, we provide earned wage access, which helps save employees money on payday loans and overdraft fees. And we objectively um, or, 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 you know, we, we quantitatively know that that is in fact true. Uh, we do both self-reported data, uh, survey data to, to customers, and we also analyze uh, their banking data through, through Plaid um, to, to see, you know, how much did they use payday loans and overdrafts pre-Zazun and, and post-Zazun. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, one example of how we're saving money. But I think what's really special about what we do uh, and what any what any company does, right? That 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 really focuses on the customer and and sort of finds that thin edge of the wedge, is we're providing a solution to a really really specific and big problem that that person's having, and we are creating an immense amount of trust in a consumer's most vulnerable moments. And if we can do that very well, and if we can provide an amazing product experience, um, customer service experience, and actually execute on, you know, expectations versus reality and, and match those two as closely as possible, then that customer is going to be a customer of ours for life. Uh, and that's going to allot us the ability to really provide um, other services and offerings uh, to that customer, right? Um, and again, uh, 
what those services and offerings look like. Um, you know, we, we have some of those in the roadmap and, and I think it'll be an exciting 2024, certainly. Uh, but, but you can be certain that it's, um, you know, all in that mission of how can we save employees money? So obviously this has been a tremendous journey. You know, we're talking about close to 10 years and, um, I'm sure you've learned a lot. Now, as a founder too, you got to keep growing so that you're not outpaced by the company. So I'm wondering, how do you think that you've changed, you know, uh, your perhaps a, a, from a cycles perspective, how you've changed from a founder to more like on the operator side, and then also how you are thinking too about non-traditional education, you know, type of mentorship to really grow and self-develop yourself and whether it's for you or whether you see for all other people as well. Tell us about this. Oh, man. So there's a lot there, and it's, it's, it's very tough. Um, the, it's funny you bring up the, the, you know, your development as a founder. Um, and I'm sure that this is not unique to me. I'm sure it's something that all founders experience. But, yeah, it is, uh, it is tough. You know, we're, we're a, just over 100 people now. Um, which by by all stretches, you know, isn't a large company, uh, but it feels large. As, as a startup, it feels big. Uh, and, and I would say that there's been a couple pain points along the way for me personally. I think, you know, early days as a founder, you do everything. Uh, early days, we call it swivel chair. So uh, the product is only, you know, half-baked. A customer comes in to access money. Uh, I'm on support, um, helping that customer through the sign-up process. That customer accesses money. There's an email that goes to them. Well, guess who's sending that money? I'm going into the bank account, sending them a transfer manually, and then sending them a notification that says, hey, thanks so much for using us. Uh, you know, Thanks for being a customer. And so you're, you're, you're doing that on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, you're negotiating financings. You're doing these crazy business development deals with, with large, large companies. Um, we launched with, you know, Uber Canada, uh, really early on in, 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 uh, in Zazun's, um, lifetime or life cycle. But, uh, so, so there's kind of two ends of the spectrum there dealing with these massive, uh, conversations and dealing with the, the sort of, uh, nitty gritty of a business. Um, however, as the business grows, like naturally those things go off your plate and you as the founder focus on higher impact items. Uh, and so you, you start to strip away the sales, you start to strip away the customer support, you start to strip away the marketing and the product. And eventually you bring in, you know, competent leaders to, to, to lead each of those functions. Um, and you're more and more hands off. That's really difficult. It's really difficult to be hands off. And it's sort of like a punch, punch in the guts at first. And so the, the sort of, I think at about 25 employees, I felt that first, where I was like, all right, I, I, I don't really know what my purpose is here anymore. I need to figure it out. I need to figure out how to stop from getting my, my uh, uh, you know, stop from getting my dopamine or my satisfaction from being in the weeds and start to understand what it means to manage. I think that was, um, you know, at 50 employees was another threshold where that was, uh, you know, maybe two or three X uh, of, of that same feeling. Um, okay. Again, needed to have a bit of a reset, understand exactly, all right, like, where do I live in this organization? What, where can I provide the most value? 
And then it again, just before 100 employees, uh, it wasn't until maybe six months ago, uh, or, you know, five, four, four months ago that I felt comfortable again, because there were a few month period there where it's like, all right, like, what am I doing? Where's my impact? I, I, I feel kind of stupid. I feel like we've hired a bunch of experts, and I'm not an expert in, in any of this. Um, I'm not really getting my dopamine kick from executing on something and, and doing something. I'm not in the weeds. I'm not getting the praise from from people for saying, you know, great job doing that. Um, you're kind of just, you know, you, you got to put one foot in front of the other and, and make sure that team's aligned. Uh, and, and that's a like really difficult to define. There's a lot of ambiguity in, well, how do I make sure that the team is aligned? How do I make sure that the team is, is, you know, uh, heading towards that mission? Um, and there's a lot of like, grind in that as well right so i think like for me uh it's just been leaning on my co-founders uh darcy and and jamie uh and and understanding you know like like we all got each other's backs and um we're here to work through it and figure out where we all fit in this organization and, and how that can how that can work it's talking to other founders that have been through the same thing and understanding how they define their roles uh but yeah it's really interesting um you know, on, on the on the non-traditional education route, uh, again, like talking to other founders, um, podcasts, uh, lots of reading. Um, I always find it really interesting, especially talking with, with younger entrepreneurs or uh, university students. Everyone relates sort of learning something with a set course. Um, even internally here at Zazun, we, we we talk a lot about our, our staff or our, our team talks a lot about um, continuing education and what's the budget look like for continuing education and well hey like there's a course that I want to take for this or I'd like to do this I'd like to do that and of course I want to promote that but my initial reaction is always well have you explored all the other avenues to actually get that education in a better way. Um, we have an amazing group of board members. We have an amazing, you know, I have an amazing network of founders. Um, if you want to learn something about X, certainly there's someone that you could have a half hour coffee with that I guarantee you is going to teach you more about X than you're going to learn in a three month online course put on by the local college, uh, guaranteed. And so I think it's just like shifting that mentality of, a certificate doesn't necessarily mean education. Uh, knowing something means it means education, and knowing something can be done through, um, you know, being a really good mentee, leaning into leaning into a mentorship network, reaching out to individuals in the community, listening to podcasts, writing things down, um, and and you know, sharing it with a group of peers. So, uh, talking about lessons here, imagine if I was to put you into a time machine, and I bring you back in time. Back to perhaps, you know, 2014, when you were thinking about, or even 2013, where you were starting to incubate the idea here. Let's say you had the opportunity of going back in time and having a chat with that younger Tate. What would that be that one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self about launching a business based on what you know now? More confidence. It's always more confidence. It's uh, uh, especially as a I was going to say, especially as a founder, but you know what? It's especially as anyone. Um, imposter syndrome gets you. 
and you're, you, you know, deep down, you, you know, your gut, you can confirm your gut 10 times over, uh, you know, throughout 10 different situations. And for whatever reason, on that 11th time, you still think you don't know the answer, even though you have 10 examples of where you really excelled at something. And so I think just having that confidence um, and, and understanding that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're where you are for a reason, you're, you're exactly in the right place. Uh, and also understanding that, you know, exponential growth isn't easy to, is, isn't an easy concept to grasp. Um, and so when your business is growing or when, yeah, when your business is growing, you know, four X in a year, like you as a person probably need to grow two or three X to keep up. Uh, and so I think just like understanding from, from a young age, like a, the confidence that you, you got this. Uh, and B, the understanding that growth takes work and it's supposed to be hard and it's not just the business that's growing, it's, it's you as well. Um, and you need to put that time into that and you need to, like, if you're feeling stretched, like make the time to talk with people and understand how you can, how you can excel yourself. I love it. So for the people that are listening, Tate, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Probably Twitter, yeah, at Tate Hackert on Twitter, uh, quite active on there, and certainly feel free to drop me a DM or or whatever else. Amazing. Well, hey, Tate, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Thanks so much, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.